You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. Good morning, everyone, and happy Monday. Hope you had a wonderful fall weekend. And thank you, Charity, for that exciting good morning. So you may have like a Monday morning announcement job permanently. We shall see. <laughs> but it's great to get to be here this morning. And you all, you made it through the sexuality symposium. It appears relatively unfazed or unscathed, I should say. Uh, you know, I, so, but th- there was one thing we didn't quite get to in the sex- sexuality symposium. So particularly for the visionaries, I really, visionaries, I wanted to do a recap this morning of the 12 steps to bonding. I was afraid. So I'm, I'm actually going to need a couple of you to come help demonstrate that talk. Just kidding, just kidding. Okay, we're not going to do that this morning. But uh, you can get, you can, if you want, that is our most downloaded chapel. So if you want to listen, you can find the 12 Steps to Bonding. Okay, so uh, speaking of chapel, it's, it's such a great honor and privilege that we get to come together and worship. And uh, I know that we all arrive at different places, different entry points into a chapel experience. And I'm so thankful we've been getting lots of really helpful feedback regarding chapel. I want to encourage you to give us your feedback. And I know Olivia Loy and Damarian and Maggie are working on ways to increase how students can give feedback on chapel. And I know Pastor Greg and Pastor Jeannie are super interested in that as well. So continue to share with us your thoughts about chapel. Because this is a participatory sport. Well, it's not really a sport, but it's a participatory participatory event. Like, we're doing this together, this work of chapel. And I know that uh, all of us come from, or at least lots of us, come from different kinds of worship experiences. Some of us don't come out of the church at all, and this may be our first corporate worship experience. I know that uh, a lot of us, students, faculty, and staff, we all have our priorities about what chapel should be about. And some of you would say, oh yeah, we need more altar calls. And others of you would say, we don't need more altar calls. We need more practical application about social redemptive action. And some of you say, if I have to have another justice chapel, I just won't be able to take it. And other people say, I'd like line-by-line preaching, please. And other people say, well, we need to understand the big theological perspective of Scripture. And we all arrive into this place with different needs, different wants, different things that are priority to us. This is the most public thing we do regarding our spiritual vitality at Asbury, but it's not the only thing we do. In fact, I like to think of chapel being the place that we take our spiritual pulse as a community, but the body of our spirituality is all through our campus community, everywhere from the residence halls to the athletic fields, to the biology classroom, to the psychology classroom, to the, um, to the clubs, to, to, to all of it. This is all the way that we're practicing our faith. And we come here together to say, this is important. Now, some of you don't understand why we do required chapel, and that makes a lot of sense because uh, we're doing something that is super countercultural. And in fact, 
I, I don't, other than places like an Asbury, I don't think there's any other places on the planet where 18-year-olds and above are required to show up to a worship service. Now, as soon as I say that, you're going to tell me where I'm wrong. So I'm certain there's somewhere else, but unless, I guess, a few of you might become monks and nuns, and then, you know, part of your living experience. But anyway, for the majority of us, the vast majority of us, this is our only experience. And for us, with most of us having our Western ideals of individualism and personal choice, uh, most of us could not decide on a Sunday morning church, let alone all come together from all of our different perspectives and bring our expectations to this experience. But here's what I wonder. Yeah, so I've attended chapel. Okay, y'all, get this. I have attended chapel for 30 years, including my time as a student at four different institutions. In fact, my entire life, I've been required to go to chapel as part of my job. <laughs> I have done, literally, I have participated in hundreds of chapel services, hundreds. And uh, some of them I've led, but most of them I've participated in. And you know what? That does not make me an expert in worship or in chapel, because what I've learned is that our chapel time together is organic. It's about relationship. It's about us coming together around Jesus. And I've also learned that you don't get it right. Like there isn't like a right way that solves everything. <laughs> Instead, it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to kind of step aside from all the ways that I want to have things and try to ask the Holy Spirit to give us some space to come together around Jesus. I know that for some of you, because of your personalities, that um, being told to do something religious is about as low on your ideals as possible. <laughs> and so perhaps if uh, Pastor Greg and I can meet with you personally, we would say, oh, let's design this special spiritual formation plan for you. <laughs> but regardless, we think that there is something so good about us showing up here together, that it's worth it's worth offending our Western ideals. It's worth offending how we all want to do it ourselves in this way. There's something that can happen here that is not about you and not about me, but is about us. So I said I'm not an expert at chapel, but I am an expert at being a participant in chapel. So I've gone to a lot of chapel services. And I, I've sat through some really terrible services, y'all. I've sat through some services. I'm not talking about Asbury. There's some other institutions out there. I've sat through some terrible services that were so boring that I thought, like, my eyes were just going to, like, turn to mush. I've sat through some where uh, that I wanted to crawl underneath the seat. because. Uh, uh, so a couple of examples are um, one time I was in a chapel service where the speaker tried to get some students to do a trust fall off the stage to talk about the trust of God. <laughs> at, another, at another time, a, a chapel speaker uh, proclaimed that, um, that Luke Skywalker was like, no, 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 Obi-Wan was like Jesus. And when Obi-Wan disappeared, his spirit became like the Holy Spirit. And 
That's totally a Trinitarian heresy. So I was like, oh, stop it. Turn off the mic. We had to <laughs> take care of that one. There was the time when a, a, a noted Christian psychologist, again, not here, got up, and his illustrations in his talk were how he had seen Bigfoot. Kid you not, Bigfoot was his topic for the chapel service. And perhaps one of the times where I was most like, oh, was uh, the, the countdown altar call. There was one who, a speaker, li literally said, 10, I'm going to give you nine more. Nine, this is your last chance, people. Eight, it's counting down. If you're not here by one, what's going to happen? Seven, that was not a high point. So <laughs> this work of chapel that we get to do together is such an opportunity <laughs> to learn how to participate in worship. Because the big thing that I have learned, my big thing I've learned after 30 years of attending chapel, and I, I, I well, let me say it and then I'll give my nuance. The big thing I have learned is that it's so much less about the words of the speaker, the charisma of the speaker, and it's so much more about the posture of my heart. That's what I've learned. Because no doubt, the time when I wanted to like say this is the most boring thing, put a fork in my eye now, that would be the time where there would be people at the altar seeking Jesus. That would be the time. I'd have the conversation later with a student who said, that speaker, there was something about the Holy Spirit spoke to me. So I have learned it is about the posture of our heart and how you encounter God or how you are open to encounter the Holy Spirit. So that doesn't mean we don't want to keep listening and keep doing the work and keep learning best how to serve students. We are in the work of sharing a compelling message of salvation and sanctification again and again and again and to teach the integration of life in Christ in every part of the human experience. And we want to do that with all of your input and all of your prayers and we know that it begins with the posture of the heart of how you encounter Jesus. So congratulations today. You're doing something super countercultural. Few people around the world would understand why you would come to a college that would require you to sit in a seat and show up. But that what is considered foolishness to the world is our gift in the Lord Jesus Lord Jesus, come and meet us in our hearts. This is so important that we create space with the ideal of listening to the Holy Spirit and encountering God. Today we're in Acts chapter 16, and we are going to talk about three ways that people encountered God in Acts chapter 16. Now the whole book of Acts is about encountering God. Therefore, the name of our series, Encounter. The whole book of Acts is about encountering God. And chapter 16 gives us three great case studies of conversion of three very different people with the story of Paul and Silas. The first person is Lydia. The second person is a girl who is a slave, trafficked. The third person is a centurion, a Roman man. All three of these people encounter the power of the Holy Spirit. So when I think about what it means to encounter the Holy Spirit, particularly the story of Lydia connects with me. You see, Lydia is a businesswoman. She's not from um, Philippi, where they are at. 
Instead, she is a traitor, traitor, T-R-A-D-E-R, not traitor, traitor. She's a traitor bringing um, a, a dealer in purple cloth. And uh, she comes from a place called Thyatira, which actually has substantial goddess worship. It's very secular. It's not a place where Christianity has touched. Yet, something in her has been experiencing God. And she shows up to this place of prayer by the river, which tells us that there wasn't enough Jewish men yet to have a synagogue, because you needed 10 Jewish men to have a synagogue. So in times when they didn't have a synagogue, they would gather in an open-air place to pray. So there's a small group. It appears that it's primarily women, and they are praying, and Paul and Silas show up here. And it says, the Lord opened her heart to listen eagerly to what Paul, what was said by Paul. When she and her household were baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come and stay at my home. And she prevailed upon us. And then actually we know that there's a church birthed in Lydia's home in Philippi. This is such a case of Lydia encountering Jesus, the Holy Spirit, through the relationship and teaching of Paul. But she knew part of the story. She was already showing up. She knew part of it, but there was something in her that had yet to receive and understand the power of the gospel. I think a lot of us live in this space. We know a lot in our heads about the power of God. We perhaps have attended church for large times in our life. We have seen people talk about the power of God. And yet, we haven't necessarily experienced and encountered the Holy Spirit. Just if my little daughter Emily is turning three next week, and so this is all fresh in my mind, I can still remember being pregnant with Emily. And as you know, Emily has Down syndrome, and she was a high-risk pregnancy, so I got to see that obstetrician-like Every day, it seemed like. But every week or two weeks, they would do an ultrasound, and I would get to see sweet little Emily. And let me tell you, I know more about that child than I know about my own self. So I was, like, able to see, like, all of her ribs. They measured the length of her arms. They measured the length of her thigh bone. Not only, I didn't just count toes and count fingers, they measured the veins in her skull, in her brain. I could see how the pattern by which the blood was going in and out of the heart. I could see how she would actually could swallow in the womb and that fluid would go through her body and I could see through this technology, how it would go through her body. I knew her blood work. They told me 10,000, 10,000 chromosomal issues she did not have. <laughs> they could tell me every disease she didn't have. They could tell me her formation. They could tell me everything about her. And my love for this sweet little girl just grew and grew as, as a parent's love does. However, it wasn't until... I encountered her face-to-face -face in my arms that I experienced the relationship and knowing of Emily. I knew everything about her. I was pregnant with her, <laughs> but yet I had not encountered her personhood. Now, a while back, right, I think Steve Deneff did a message on how you are pregnant, remember, with the Holy Spirit. You are pregnant with the gospel. So I'm just falling back on his analogy that for many of us, 
We have yet to encounter the power of the Holy Spirit for ourselves. We know everything about it. We sit in chapel three times a week. We go to our Bible classes. We show up. We do the things. But yet, we have not yet encountered the power of the Holy Spirit. And how did Lydia encounter it? She encountered it through a person. She encountered it through the person and teaching of Paul in a small group down at the riverbank. Des Kinlaw would say, your salvation always begins in someone else. And I wonder if there's those of you who long to encounter the power of the Holy Spirit. When you do encounter the power of the Holy Spirit, A, you will know it. If you're unsure, ask. And B, write it down. Begin to preach to yourself the story of how the Holy Spirit has encountered you. Preach that story to yourself. One of my friends has left, totally left the faith. He went to Asbury. I said, did you ever have a time when you encountered the Holy Spirit? He was a Christian a lot of years. He said, no, I have no time that I encountered the Holy Spirit. You see, until we encounter the Holy Spirit, this book is just a book. These places we go are just places to go. These messages are just words. It is the empowerment and the encounter of the presence of the Holy Spirit that changes it. It goes from being pregnant with it to, being, to God being birthed in you. Happened through relationship. The second one, one day as we were going to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had the spirit of divination and brought her owners a great deal of money by fortune telling. When she followed Paul and, and us around, she would cry out, these men are slaves of the most high God who proclaim to you a way of salvation. She kept doing this for many days, but Paul, very much annoyed, turned to her and said to the spirit, I order you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. Another encounter in the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't know the end of the story for this slave girl, what that encounter led to. We'd like to think that she found her place in Lydia's church. We'd like to think she showed up on Lydia's doorstep. Perhaps she did. Hopefully she did. But I love this story of the encounter of the Holy Spirit because you know what the message is? God wants to set you free before you even call upon his name. Do you know that the Holy Spirit is after each and every person on this planet, pursuing them, offering and desiring to give the gifts of freedom to release from bondage? Do you know that our Christianity is, is not transactional? It's not like, okay, we accept God, God delivers us from bondage. We do this, God does that. Do you know that the Holy Spirit wants to set you free regardless if you proclaim the name of Jesus? that the Holy Spirit is after you, regardless of where your soul sits today, that there's not a person on this planet, no matter what God they pray to, what idol they organize their life around, what terrible choices they've made for their entire life, there's not a person on the planet that the Holy Spirit is not after with great intentionality, desiring for that person to experience freedom. That's the kind of God that we serve not a God of transaction, a God of transformation, a God that doesn't make deals, a God that says, it's all me and I'll meet you wherever you are at. Even if you don't know my name, I will meet you. I will call you into relationship with me. The third person, the centurion. So uh, when Paul uh, cast out this demon, it caused a lot of trouble for him and Silas because the 
the owners of the girl, their, um, their financial plan was disrupted. It's such a lesson right for all, <laughs> that as soon as faith interrupts people's commerce, <laughs> things get real. <laughs> things are all, everything's okay, everybody's tolerant until money's involved. So the crowd attacks them, they strip them of their clothing, they beat them severely, they put them into the deepest innermost cell, which most likely was a cave underground. They fasten their feet in stalks, which was meant to keep the legs separated to be a torture device. About midnight, Paul and Silas are praying, and suddenly here's this miracle. There's an earthquake so violent that their chains were unfastened. When the jailer woke up and saw the prison doors wide open, he drew his sword. He was about to kill himself because as a centurion, he's responsible for these prisoners since he is supposed that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, do not harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer calls for lights. He rushes in. He falls down before them and he says, sirs, must, what must I do to be saved? They answered, believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and his house. That very night, he took them, washed their wounds. Then he and his entire family were baptized without delay. He brought them up to the house and set food before them. And they ate together and rejoiced. And he became a believer in God. The centurion's person's identity, literally his very life was dependent on his ability to please his employers. When the earthquake came, he was gripped by perhaps rational fear, knowing what would happen to him if his superiors found out. And this is the God who not only cares so much about the encounter of Paul and Silas, in this deep cell, releasing them for the sake of the gospel, but also cares about the very person, the oppressor, the one who is jailing them, that that person's life might be saved, that that person would be, off, would be offered the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you know, in our culture right now, we talk a lot about victims, we talk a lot about the oppressed. This is certainly... Jesus' heart. This is certainly where Jesus' heart is, the most vulnerable, the most oppressed. He came to set the captive free. But you know what? Jesus does not forget about all of the power structures and systems and each person who finds themselves in such a system. So as much as Jesus cared about this slave girl and set her free, the Holy Spirit cared about this centurion who was part of the enemy and arranged a way that the Holy Spirit, that, that, that he would encounter the Holy Spirit through this miraculous event, through the persons of Paul and Silas. There is not a person in our system that is untouched by God. There's not a person who is not pursued by the Holy Spirit. Tim Keller talks about Acts 16. You know what he says? He says there's three different kinds of people that were experienced the power of the Holy Spirit in Acts 16. There was Lydia, who was a Middle Eastern woman, totally secular, most likely deeply involved, raised in goddess worship. There was Lydia. There was a trafficked girl being sold and in demonic possession. 
There's a Roman centurion. Three diverse people all coming to experience the power of the Holy Spirit. And this reminds me that the gospel has never been for one people group, that the gospel has never been for one color, the gospel has never been for a, had never had one geographical center, that the gospel has never been for middle-class white people, <laughs> just for middle-class white people, that the gospel has never been for a type of person. There's no geographical location, no personality, no particular background, no social class, no political party, no government affiliation that defies the power of the gospel. The Holy Spirit, encountering the Holy Spirit, is the thing that brings, has the power to bring us together. It has the power to bring us together like nothing else on the planet. I know those are crazy words to say in a world that is so divisive, even now amongst our Christian sisters and brothers. But what we see in the gospel, what we see in the story of the encounters of the Holy Spirit, is a Holy Spirit that brings people together around the person of Jesus. A Holy Spirit that is not worried about political alliances, that is not worried about denominational differences, that is not worried about ethnic diversity in the sense of who comes together around the person of Jesus. Now, I think Jesus cares a lot about our unique stories. Jesus cares a lot about the vulnerable and the marginalized. That is the heart of the gospel. But the Holy Spirit is not in the business of discriminating. The Holy Spirit is in the business of bringing us together around the cross. So I look to see in Philippians, because Paul writes in Philippians, and he writes to the church in Philippi, to the church of that centurion, to the church of Lydia, to the church most likely of the slave girl. And this church has developed over the last five or ten years, and he finds himself in prison again, and he's calling back to that church that he loves so dearly in Philippi. And do you know what he says to them? He says, only live your manner, life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent and hear about you, I will know that you are standing firm in one spirit, striving side by side with one mind for the faith of the gospel and are in no way intimidated by your opponents. And then, just a few verses down, make my joy complete, be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Let each of you look not to your own interests but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. So he's very intentionally preaching this message through the epistle to the church at Philippi, knowing that it is a diverse group of people, social, socioeconomically, um, culturally, ethnic, gender, all of the different diverse pieces are coming together to do church together. And what does he speak to them about? He says, be of one mind. Now, when we get this kind of teaching, we immediately go in our minds, so there's no way I can be of one mind with that person on Facebook. <laughs> but you know what? Paul is not speaking to Facebook, just so you know. Paul, I mean, he might be, like out in there in the big picture. But I think what he's talking about here is your church community, the community that you belong to in person, the people that make up your community. And so Asbury, this is a word for us. 
This is a word for us. This is not, we can extrapolate and talk about how this could be a word for our social media presence, but no, we're not going to go there right now. Right now, this word is for us in this community that Paul is saying to us this timeless truth that says, be of one mind, stand firm in one spirit, strive side by side with one mind for the faith of the gospel. And you know why Paul can call us to this? Worship man, y'all can come up. I'm just about done. Why Paul can call us to this is because when Paul calls us to this kind of unity, to this kind of oneness in Christ, it is about being at the foot of the cross. It is about being around Jesus. It is not about being around a political ideal. It is not about being around my denominational preferences. It is not even around being around being causes that are very, very important to me and important to the heart of God. That's important. But what he's calling us to have in the same mind is the same mind of Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he made, he emptied himself, and he took on the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, being found in human form. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That is why Paul can preach the scandalous word because he knows that the mind of Christ, the attitude of Christ, is the downward mobility of the cross. It is not about me and mine and my power. It is about releasing power. It is about coming together around Jesus. So you all, as we walk around here at Asbury University, <laughs> you know, sometimes I think we can really like get kind of snippy with each other, or we can kind of be in our own little tribes of people, or we can kind of be critical. And I'm not saying you shouldn't be discerning, because we should be discerning. But I'm saying that the call of God to come together around Jesus is the gravity that makes Asbury University exist. It's the gravity that is so much deeper than anything else we can attach our identity to. It's what Paul called the church to. It's what Paul calls us to. So I wonder today how you are looking out for the Holy Spirit. How is the Holy Spirit seeking to encounter you? What are the ways that you are listening for the work of God in your life? And how are you coming along, your Asbury sisters and brothers, this community, around Jesus as our center. So Holy Spirit, we're here today. We know that you are with us. We know that you call us. We know that you are in the business of encountering us and that you do it through human people. Uh, we know that um, we all come from different perspectives, from different walks, from different places. We thank you, Jesus, that in the midst of our grand diversity, that we come together around the truth and power of a crucified Jesus who rose again. But we come together with the same mind to put ourselves shoulder to shoulder with the work of the gospel. And Jesus, we know that everything wants to threaten that. Everything wants to tell us that we can't come together, that Christians are the last people right now that are able to come together around anything. And so we say in the power of the Holy Spirit, Asbury University is different. Asbury University is called and set apart 
to be about a same mind, to be about a unified spirit, to come together around the person of Jesus Christ, to be at the foot of the cross together, one mind in his spirit. So Jesus, will you start with me? We know that I am sometimes so critical and grumpy. So would you start with me? Would you bring me alongside my brothers and sisters? Would you start with the people here in this place? Would you bring us alongside? Would you give us a unified spirit, Jesus?